Later, Pat Coons finds herself in a bloody battle to the death with the mutant Telly Savalas in our film The Beast of Bristol Parkway. But first, we join Dr. Velvet and Blackout for half an hour of boozing, bad language, and reminiscent rambling. It's nine o'clock. This week on Peggy's Calamity Mount. I'd like to have been there on day one when Adrian Headley's walked onto the set and he's gone, I can do mine, me. And Clive Doyle's gone, well, okay, maybe I'll try and work that into every single sketch of the programme. I'm sure that won't get old. <laughs> what? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Can you think of anything more British sitcom than Terry Scott being knocked out by a toilet? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, hello and welcome to the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour once again. I'm Dr Velvet. I'm Blackout. And we're here yet again, mind, to talk about the telly. Yes, hello you. Thanks for turning up for this casual cultural critique of vintage television where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds because here all roads lead to the mountain. As a brief aside, if you go over to PeggyMountPod.com, info and links for the episodes we're discussing is in the show notes there. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or suggest programmes you'd like us to cover. And before we start the engines, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask... Oh, what is that? Who is it? I asked Kent to put the red light on because we're on air. Hey, look, everyone, it's Ozzy Bognops! Hey, Ozzy! Oh, no. Hello, hello, hello. Ozzy, Come on in. Come in, sir. How are you Come on doing? in. Sit down. Sorry, uh, sorry about the mess. I'll clean us off with the shingles. Uh, could we, um, could we furnish you with a, with a beverage? Well, it would be churlish not to. It, it really would. It really would. Give me just a second, because over here we have. little magical drinks cabinet of mystery goodness me what would you like oh i think it has to be red i think it has to be red gentlemen no problem at all i fully agree a a man after (laughs) yes a a fan of the grape what are you on dr velvet well i'm uh i'm on a a, a decent bottle of wine Uh, it it is a decent bottle of wine it's uh it's it's thunderbird red label is where i'm on (laughs) (laughs) ever swimming against the stream i am on a bottle of Thiessen's All Peculiar. Good man. Oh, one of Good my favourites, that. Yeah. Yeah, bugger a hell. I love that. Fantastic work. Yeah, oh. that's tremendous, that. That's tremendous. Necessary, so, uh, I think. Yeah, very very much so. Very much so. So let's have a look at what we've got coming up to, to look at. It's a bit of a puzzle, but all of the pieces are coming together, except one. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yes, Jigsaw. This was an activity show with puzzles and sketches aimed at primary school children. Devised by Clive Doig, it was presented by Janet Ellis and Adrian Headley. Ran on Children's BBC for 50 shows over six series from 1979 to 84. The episode we're covering here is from 1981 and also features series regulars Wilf Lund, Sylvester McCoy and David Rappaport. Interesting little thing in there. I saw Sylvester McCoy and David Rappaport as the Broker's Men in a pantomime in a certain northern town in 1981 and I remember them being interviewed on BBC Radio and proving that they were actually quite nice people which seemed to be the general thing of children's television on the BBC in those days it was nice uh-huh. mm, mm, agree with that this programme is very nice Yeah, I think it's, it's harmless, it just bounces along it was very different uh, to anything that was going on at the time I think I can recall this being quite different. Well, it actually asked kids to join in and kind of think. Yeah, the minute the minute it starts, it's all like, hey, here's a thing for last week's puzzle. Here's this week's puzzle. And I'm like, oh, God, you're asking me to do stuff straight off the bat. This is going to be hard work, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's an element of it, mine, that, that kind of uh-huh. used to grate with me because it felt like homework. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's sort of... It, it's not so much... I mean, think of a number as a bit like homework. This is like being tricked into homework. Yes. <laughs> because I felt excluded. I felt excluded if I did not get the the, 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 the word thing from... I... Yes, the word from the previous right. week. Um, and I kind of felt excluded. I felt like there was some little club going on and I wasn't part of it did, and I, was, um, I got annoyed. Did anyone else notice anything a little bit odd, deliberately odd, going on during the title sequence? Uh, many things, if I'm honest, but what was specifically? When we're going through the letters of the word jigsaw, uh-huh. we get uh, like an example for each one of the letters. Yeah. Uh, when it gets to A, there's a hand holding up cards, which are aces. Uh-huh. But there are five aces in that oh, hand yes. of cards. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. by gum. Hawkeyes. Did he ever wash those dungarees is the question I have. And would you notice? You're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong, mind, because they were never off its back. No. Good God, he had the one pair. Do you know who he always reminded me of? Who? A knockoff version of Morris Mimer. You know Kenny Everett's um, oh, yeah. character, <laughs> yeah? Who, who incidentally went along with this sort of music. Even the colours, red, black and white. I Dalmatian thought, mm. type thing, ah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I'd like to have been there on day one when Adrian Headley's walked onto the set and he's gone, I can do mime, me. And Clive Doyle's gone, well, okay, maybe I'll try and work that into every single sketch of the program. I'm sure that won't get old. <laughs> Can we get onto the sketch where Janet Ellis has got a cold? Yes, uh-huh. I know where this is going. They're at, they're at a Did- fictional railway yeah. station. Yep. Um, full of dick. Yes. Yep. And totally. they've, they've they've heavy-handedly engineered the word Nick into that sketch. Mm-hmm. So that the pair of them can keep saying dick at each other yeah. for about for, this goes on for about four minutes. Dickers, I... N- knickers with a dick, dickers. Just, uh-huh. Seriously, and they wonder why we turned out like we did. <laughs> They're having a great time. In the mind the other office. thing, they're having a great time. The care thing when they produced the kitten. Did anybody notice the edit that appeared to have been made with a blunt axe? First rule of LE: never work with animals. <laughs> Then I'm just then we ended up with Terry the evil-eyed, rather slightly blind plastic pterodactyl. Uh, like, pterodactyl, yeah, yeah. Why does Terry 
have reverb on his voice when no one else in the room does. He even has reverb on his voice when he's outside. I don't remember him having that, you see, back in the day. That took me by surprise. I'd forgotten. I remembered the sort of type of voice that he had. Again, I think voiced by Tommy Boyd. Um, right. But I don't remember the reverb, which was odd. And and Janet pronou- pronounces his name Pateri, not Terry. She yes. pronounces oh, yeah. No, I like that. That was nice. Yeah. Touch of... Uh, um a touch of pedantry there, you know, which is typical of Clive Doig and all the shows he was involved in, which was over about 15 years on the beam with that nice little repertory company of people, including David Cleveland. Ladies and gentlemen, nosy bonk. What can I say? Wilf Lunn, I'm here to tell you, invented the hipster. The modern-day hipster as we know it. Wilf Lunn was decades ahead of his time, that man. I do like that he's got a moustache like that one with the dark hair out with the hairy bikers at the minute. Gentlemen, you know what I wrote down here? The Poundland Mm. Roland Emmett. (laughs) There you are. Um, I do like that this is another show where apparently the audio in the studio is recorded from a single condenser mic <laughs> so that we get every bit of clattering, shuffling and banging in the studio while Adrian leaps about doing his mime, every squeak of his shoes, uh-huh. every clatter onto the floor, and it's like, can we, can, we, can we not afford two microphones for the two people that are constantly on? We can dub in the rest of the voices. No, 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 this one microphone will be enough. That'll be fine. You're right, though, it, it, it is irritating. And you get a lot of space going on, you get a lot of space hiss It is annoying. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Tell you who the worst is for that. Not to not to go off on a tangent too much. Australian soap operas of the seventies. Okay. Young Doctors. I remember Young Doctors. I used to watch Young Doctors, Uh and it it was it was like they had a constant gas leak going on. (laughs) It was it was awful. It was horrendous. Anyway, never mind. I think so. There was me hoping to do the Sullivan's next series, but. We can do that. <laughs> Mr Blackout, uh, one thing I wanted to ask is, um, so they're talking about, I know the mirror thing was coming, it was just inevitable, but um, both Mr Makepeace Lunn and uh, Mr McCoy, as one of the old men, were wearing Beckett's spectacles. Glegs. Speaking of the old men, by the way. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes, I, I absolutely remember the old men. In fact, when it was first announced that McCoy was going to be taking over the role of Doctor Who... The only thing that I could remember him being in was Jigsaw as one of the O-Men, and my heart, well, both of them, sank. <laughs> sank, sank, sank. Because he, as, as the o, one of the O-Men, he, he's, he's a simpering clown. And it's I thought, good to know that even as a, what, 10-, 12-year-old Doctor Who fan, you were leaping to conclusions yes, ba- yes. based purely on an actor's previous work rather than thinking, that person's an actor... They theoretically can be anything which is on the script put in front of them. No, no, they are defined purely by what <laughs> yes. they've done in the past. Yes. You've so got to remember the, D- the DNA For- makeup of a Doctor Who fan is to prejudge. You've got <laughs> to Doctor, remember. Doctor, I have this. something to ask you. Therefore, yes. So, what did you feel about the bloke who was on Button Moon and in Sink or Swim? Uh, at the time, I was furious because I was <laughs> ten, and Tom Baker was being replaced. So, whoever it was was in for it from me. I and got it by all accounts. And then. W- and then when the wet vet turned up, nah. <laughs> so there we are, nah. Was everyone completely high when they made this? Then they just didn't watch the footage back until it was broadcast. <laughs> I think that's likely. <laughs> who's who's turned around, right? Because, I see, now, bear in mind, I haven't watched uh, Jigsaw since I was young. Um, and in research for this uh, show, I only watched this one episode. Mm-hmm. Was Pig of the Week a thing every week? Or was, or was this literally just them being quirky, going, 
Mind Clive, one pick of the week on. <laughs> and he's gone, yep, pick of the week it is. We can put that on. You know, the, you. you know the type of the pig? I know the type of the pig. Let's put the pig in. Pick of the week it is. Bang. That's 15 seconds filled. Next. I'm telling you now, they had a ball in that production office. They must have. Oh, God, I'm no, sure. of course they did. I'm sure. Because Clive Doig was a cameraman, and then I think he was a vision mixer. Um, and there's this famous story. His Twitter handle, if you ever want to go and look for it, is Olive Dong, because apparently he was at some telly convention in Germany, wrote his name down, and that's what they thought it said. Um, <laughs> one little point. Um, we have a little sketch involving uh, Adrian, lots of Adrians, where he's playing the parts of different people. Yes. Just dressed the same, but he's doing it through mime. They don't even bother to use CSO. It's just many cardboard cutouts of him. Yeah, that's that's right. only for the that's for the long shot. Yeah, yeah. When it so obviously when it because I was thinking, oh, they're gonna like, yeah, they're gonna like CSO in the individual Adrian speaking. No, no, no. no. When it cuts back to the long shot, it's just cardboard. That's fine. Yes, and yeah, I don't mind that. You got to bear in mind that annoyed me. Back in the day, we mm. weren't watching it on the quality of screen that we were in these last few days. Mm-hmm. There was another factor that I was a bit confused about when there were really it was it was almost on three two one level with the clues for the next word, um, the word convex at the end. Sorry to give it away for anybody who's written in. Um, I was waiting till next week to find out the answer to that. Ken, you might have to get the scissors in there. You might have to get the scissors in there, Ken. <laughs> but the thing is, the second letter was an, an O. They're playing crazy golf, and the clue was what Nosy Bonk played with. Well, that's a ball. Excuse me, but I did go to school. Ball does not begin with an O. It does not. Initially, that's a golf club, because he was using that to play. Yeah. Whatever. Right and complete. Whatever. So, Jigsaw, <clears throat> let's sum it up. So, you know, do we do we rate it as a programme? This is the literacy equivalent of think of a number. It's absolutely all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly what its target audience wants and probably needs. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Is it fun? Very definitely fun. Very definitely in fun. A, in a disjointed kind of a way, yes, it is. How many series were there? This, there were six. Six, see? Six series, that's all right, that. It's good going. F- 50 episodes, it was doing something right. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I, yes. uh, I rate Jigsaw, I rate Jigsaw. Speaking of rating... Uh-huh. Let's do it. Let's do it. Blackout, how many pegs would you put on the line? I'd give this six out of nine. That's a, that's a healthy score. How about you, Ozzy? Uh, I, too, will give it six out of nine. Mm, and what about the good doctor? Seven. Oh. Oh. Strong the devil seven. got all disappointed there. Yeah, no. I, um, I, I, <laughs> so many strong elements to this. For all there was, it had its little irritations, I think it was a cracking idea. Yeah. yeah okay. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Question is, Blackout: How many steps will it take you to yodel up the mountain? I can do it in three. Three is not bad. Jigsaw was fronted by the inimitable Adrian Headley, who played a doorman in 2018's McMafia, which starred James Norton, who was in Ron Howard's 2013 movie Rush, along with. David Calder, who appeared in 1987's The Trial of Klaus Barbie with Peggy Mount. And what vital information have you extracted is colossized. Tremendous. Tremendous work. What about yourself, Doctor? Well, uh, I can do this in two. 
Okay, Jigsaw starred Janet Ellis, who featured in a 1978 episode of The Sweeney alongside John Thor, who was, of course, Inspector Morse, in the episode Fat Chance, which starred Peggy Mouse. <laughs> women behaving like weenie whoppers. Excellent work. Mm-hmm. And because we are entertaining a guest this week... Yes, Mr Bognops? What about yourself? Gentlemen, I think I can do this in a single step. Ooh. Get in! Here we are. Let's see. <laughs> this episode of Jigsaw features Sylvester McCoy, who was helming the TARDIS in Doctor Who's The Greatest Show in the Galaxy, along with... Peggy Mount. It'll be woolly hats and posters over the beds in no time. Tremendous. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. To be fair, I should have got that. I should have got that. <laughs> it's almost as if these are pre-written in advance. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Mr. Bognops. Marvellous. Marvellous. OK. Um, Thank you. A bit of refreshment and a bit of shopping required, I think. Let's see what's on the conveyor tonight. the first, or we'll give you a new tape. You can watch Scotch forever. We record not fade away. What goes up must come down. Super Fresco makes it easy. It's by Graham Brown. That flat back firmly put in its place. Press it down, it bounces back. Don't need to paint. What goes up must come down. Super Fresco that was them. Buy the things, buy the lovely things. Buy them things, mind. Get them bought. Just a thought. But does anybody fancy going to Croydon Railway Station and standing about like an arsehole waiting for somebody and never meet them? <laughs> I'll be in a phone box 45 minutes late. <laughs> yes, BBC One's legendary sitcom Terry and June. This ran from 1979 to 1987 in 65 episodes over nine series. Starring longtime collaborators Terry Scott and June Whitfield as the eponymous couple, it was originally created as an unofficial spin off slash continuation to the remarkably similar Happy Ever After. Here we are watching Series 1, Episode 1, Long Weekend. This was written by John Kane, produced by Peter Whitmore. After Terry gets a promotion to assistant sales manager at a fire extinguisher firm, the couple prepare to move into their new house. First things first. Uh huh. I don't think I'm built for farce. I'll tell you why. Are you not? I'll tell you why. It's... Well, I should be because my life's one. But um, <laughs> I, it's the, first of all the titles, right? The titles. Now yeah. there they are. There's, there's. Hence me reference earlier. There's Terry and June. They've obviously agreed to meet each other at the station. They can't find each other. 
Right, hang, oh, hang, hang, hang the fuck on, Dr. Velvet. Early doors. Mm. Are you going to spend this segment slagging off Terry in June? Never, never, because I love the series. I love the series. Okay, fine. Please continue. However, (laughs) stuff like this. I sense that that however is doing a lot of heavy lifting. (laughs) It is, it is. Underlined and with a comma. Just stand still. Just stand still and wait. Don't move about because you're never going to find each other. Irritating, irritating, irritating. Time is being wasted here. Time is being wasted here. And Unnecessary confusion. Unnecessary... I know that is the essence of farce. I know that. But for some reason, it doesn't sit well with me. I love the thought that if slash when you finish your time machine, the first thing you're going to do is get into it travel back and make sure that Terry and June meet each other on time. Happening. Absolutely. <laughs> just be there going, just, just stay there. It'll be along in a minute. But, Doctor, yeah. you say that and you say, you know, the, the agony and the, the, you know, just stand still and all the rest of it. The pace of the comedy in this 30 minutes is glacial. The sort of four laughs spread over 29 minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah, there is. Now, this is, bear in mind, this is a first episode, even though it's sort but of continuing isn't. on. Same yeah. team, though. Yeah, but no, it's, it's the first episode of a new thing. It's got a lot of... Uh, it hasn't got a lot of setting up to do, but it does a lot of setting up. I, so, like, yeah, it's, I like the very self-aware line that comes from Terry when he said, I was rather fond of the old house, which was clearly a reference to Happy Ever After. Indeed. Uh-huh. And clearly his promotion... Had also had he'd had his name promoted as well because they were the Fletchers and now they're the Medfords. That's right. Yeah. I mean, come that's on, a, that's legal very... legal wrangles. Come on, mate. Or <laughs> I don't think they there's had... anything legally problematic about that. Well, it leads me to think and suspect that there's more to this than meets the eye. Are they under witness protection? <laughs> no, I think they've just changed their name on Deepool because they're trying to get away from their swinger neighbours. They don't want to be tracked down. That Indeed. could be a possibility. That could be a possibility. But the slow pace and the... I mean, at least they're not moving into comedy name of Comedy Street and Comedy Village. It is 26 Elm Tree Avenue in Purley. Oh, God, yeah. That's, which is, I, one would assume, funny by its sheer blandness. Oh, Blanche, which, don't which, get me started on which, the on the name of the estate anything, agent. Which, if anything, could be handwritten on the front page of the pilot script, I admit. But, you know. <laughs> I think they would have had three goes, though. I just don't know. There's something about the number and the name that would have had three goes. Originally, it was 14 Dogshit Street. <laughs> well, bear in mind, traditionally... Odd numbers are funnier than even numbers. There are exceptions to this, but yeah. 26 is the Clacton of numbers of houses, I think, in the BBC. Pantheon. (laughs) So, uh, Terry Medford, he's a man after my own heart. He's got a clipboard and collars so acutely pointed that you could use them as hoof picks. I love his sheer stress that they've gone into a house late that they haven't even finished buying yet. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's not like they're meeting the estate agent there. They're just turning up for whatever reason. And what a grotty-looking house. Absolutely. It appears to have been... I mean, the decoration must have been astonishing, and they basically took everything, including the paint. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Really? I can't see June wanting to move into somewhere like that, mind. I can't. I do like the... um the non-branded reference to that wallpaper, though. 
Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And the guy standing at the top with the paper clips just to let them go on cue. That's right. <laughs> oh, God, absolutely. On the subject of, of um, blandness, can I also bring uh, into the frame here the actual estate agents? Because they've clearly gone to a great deal of effort to put a convincing name of an estate agent on the board outside, which is Ackles yes. and Bream of Carshalton, with a phone number. Knowing you like I do, tell me you did. I did. You called that number, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I could applaud you sometimes. Go on. Can I tell you what it was? It was a branch Go of going places. <laughs> oh, my God. And it wasn't anywhere near Carshalton. Right. If I can go further, that for sale sign that Terry's trying to pull out of the ground from Ackles and Bream Limited with the address and the phone number. This was in 1979, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you skip forward to 1984, there's an episode of The Young Ones which features Alexi Sale as his dodgy landlord standing outside a house with a remarkably similar sign, except now it's Ackland and Bream, but with exactly the same address and phone number. Nice. Fantastic. And it is such an under-the-radar thing for The Young Ones to be making an homage to Terry and June that I'm instantly more in love with fucking both of them. Is it as much of an homage? Because they do reference things like Grange Hill, um, The Good Life. Is it that much? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't believe anyone says Ackles and Bream Limited in this episode of Terry and Jean. Right. But you do see it a lot. It's quite and it's prominent. not. It's not a real. It's yeah. Oh, you see it, but it's not a real estate agent. It's just for someone who was like paying attention. Yes. And it's not like someone in 1984 will be watching the young ones and go, "I'm going to get on the internet and look that up." <laughs> yes, <exactly. laughs> so, you know, it's, yeah. it's, get the it's, yellow pages it's pretty, out. It's pretty hardcore for the sitcom fans, there. I think. Yeah. It is. It is. You're right. Uh, one of the points I'd like to make up. We discussed in Terry's outfit before. Is that headscarf stapled to June Whitfield's head? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, and was for years. They just dyed her head. <laughs> God, clearly. <laughs> and she also is wearing a pen necklace. Oh, yes. Like, like they were available, but nobody actually wore them, did they? The, three words, <laughs> Doctor. Web ivory catalogue. Yeah, without a doubt. Nobody actually put it round their neck. Now to put a to put a massive dagger in the in the you know in the welt that is this episode. This episode is essentially about twelve quickie sketches, just very lazily melted together. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you think? No, agreed. Yeah, they you can basically see the tape. They're held up with that. Um, they're stuck together with that wallpaper. Yes, <laughs> copy decks. I what, thought. Yeah. Which, yeah, 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 exactly. Which is why they come away. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, this. All right, so first off, the door, the knock at the door, and there is a gentleman stood there who wants to buy the house. And here we go back to the title sequence again. Here we go with a farce. Here we go with this little farcical element that got on my nerves. It just got on my nerves. Terry, just tell the man that you've bought the arson house. Just no, it's a very. You got to bear in mind it's a very entry level sort of fast section here. Uh huh. Um, unnecessary you know, frustration. It kind Unnec- of it, it infers that Terry is a massive racist, and the fact is he's just too polite, embarrassed, and non-confrontational to explain the mix-up. Or very seventies uh, British. Of, but if anything, that 
the fact that he doesn't clear it up basically illustrates that he is too embarrassed and non-confrontational to explain the mix-up. Annoying. I'm fine with that. All the warning flags go up straight away when you're like, where is this going? And it tiptoes along this line. But generally speaking, similar scenes have been far worse in far more sitcoms. There is one point which I'm not going to mention where it does, I couldn't make out because of the audio quality, where it just like puts one foot over the line then is like, yeah, let's just pull that back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's perhaps not the most delicate, but I'm generally fine with it because it fits in with this farce of misunderstanding. Well, it does, and, yeah. And it actually gives the, the whole episode the tiniest bit of form because uh, yeah. he comes back at the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True. If you bear in mind this whole Terry and Jean in general, all of it, um, it's very safe. Yes. It sort of pivots around this middle class, middle England anxiety. Yeah. It's not as quietly subversive as the good life. This is more, it's like Faulty Towers, but with the edges sanded off. Yeah. Firmly, firmly sanded off. Um, and I, yeah, I still really love it in a. Yeah purely unironic way. If you ever wanted to put absolutely define situation comedy in its literal sense, it's this. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. That's fair play. And I have to say, every time Terry goes, ooh, it, it really is Oliver Hardy. It is. I mean, <clears> you know, <throat> the measuring the cupboards, getting changed in front of the window and lying on the bed. Every mm-hmm. single reaction is him doing that in exactly the same tone of voice at exactly the same pitch. He is Oliver Hardy for 1979. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a good bit of physical comedy with him um, when he's got his top off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Making a very brief yet under- somehow understated reference to the musical bodybuilder Tony Holland. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> So, the house has a reputation. Well, it would appear that so do the extras. Because, like, this is 1979, and the whole thing, Doctor, you were talking about, farce, when Tina uh-huh. and Brian Pilbeam turn up, what the living daylights is this? All I've got about that couple in my notes is, if that's champagne, then I've got a PhD in astrophysics. Yes. <laughs> Mind <laughs> you, the wine, the wine was shit in the 1970s, so I've heard, but even so. Indeed. I mean, the whole thing of the measuring cupboards, back to Terry and June doing one of those little quickie moments in the kitchen, and then they discover this, uh, and then the door falling off the dresser and all this stuff. I mean, it is basically British comedy from 1930 to 1930. Absolutely. It's like like Elan Studios, but in colour. Yeah, Uh but the one question is, do these people eat? You know, you no. never ever see them eat or drink. They must just survive. They must be powered oh, well. by batteries. We, we, just you wait a few <laughs> years later, once we get into the fresh fields realm of sitcom, oh, where yeah. they've never got a drink out of their hand. Mind, they've got a secret toilet. They have. They've got a secret toilet. They have. They have. That's incredible. Who who, who wrote this in? They've hmm. gone, right, I want a bit where they move the, uh, the Welsh dresser. Right, right, yeah. And then there's an entire room there that no one has noticed the absence of before, even though there's a wall outside suggesting that the room on the other... Right, 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 okay. And what's going to happen then? <laughs> Terry's going to get knocked out by the toilet. <laughs> what? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Can you think of anything more British sitcom than Terry Scott being knocked out by a toilet? <laughs> <laughs> no. Not at all, ever. It's like it's like I've finished my time machine and gone back and written this. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> 
And so and it went on for eight years. <laughs> of course it did. A bit like, a bit like this edit. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, with that, gentlemen, Peg's on the line for Terry and June. Series one, episode one. Well, this episode itself isn't particularly inspired, but I've got a soft spot for Terry and June. So for me, six out of nine. Six out of nine's fair. What about yourself, Oswald? Well, um, I had a soft spot for Terry and June. It's a bog in the (laughs) west of Ireland. Yeah, there you go. Um, Unfortunately, I find this episode indicative of what was to come, which was a glacial pace of comedy when people wanted something a bit more like Jigsaw to brighten up the palate on a Monday night. So I See, Ken! Ken, you said we were too angry! Sorry, carry on. (laughs) I hold my beer. Um, So I am giving this a rather disappointing three out of nine. Three! What's going on? Three for Terry and June. I'll make up for that. Terry's got turning in his grave so fast you could make him into a dynamo. Three? Are you ill? Three, three. It's the going episode. On? It's the episode, and it's the. State oh no, of... that's that yeah, is yeah. absolutely fair enough. That's yeah, what yeah, we're no, all about here. It's I the episode, it, not it. the series. It's, it's exactly that, right. But, yeah. It's exactly right. And to be to be fair, did you say six blackout? I did say six. Yeah, I'm going for a five. Like I, I still, it's it's not okay. it's, it's not bedded in yet. So, um, steps up to the new house on the mountain. Blackout. <laughs> I can do it in four. Hmm. Four. All right. Do you have a night off? <laughs> this episode features Tarek Yunus, who also popped up on the 1980 edition of the Dick Emery Show with Sam Kelly, perhaps more famous for his long run on Alo Alo with Gordon Kerr, who was in a couple of episodes of The Gentle Touch alongside Jill Gascoigne, who appeared in the 1992 virtual murder episode of A Dream of Dracula with Peggy Mount. I wouldn't give him... Three cold prunes. Very Excellent good. Work. Very good. Work. As a little, uh, as a little side note to that, my mum, uh, who is who is of quite a mature age, has the theme tune to the Gentle Touch on her smartphone. Um, Guessing. <laughs> I know, right? Um, Ozzy, what about you, mate? Right. Well, for me, it's a it's a three this time. Three steps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> June Whitfield was in 1972's Bless This House movie with Patsy Rollins, who starred in the parade episode of Bottom with Rick Mail, who provided voice work for the 1991 animated movie The Princess and the Goblin, as did Peggy Mac. You did put those prunes in the fire bucket. That's superb. That's superb. Um, and what about The Good Doctor? Two. Two, let's hear it. Oh, we've a got shiny, a winner. We've got a winner. A shining two. Here we go. <laughs> Terry Scott appeared in 1966's Doctor in Clover, which also starred Alvy Bass, who was also in the 1956 comedy Sailor Beware, alongside Peggy Mark. I want you here at midnight tonight. Sterling work, sir. Sterling work. Fantastic work. They are. They are. That's so, what we love. Yes, it is. 
It's marvellous. And I'm afraid, gentlemen, time has beaten us for yet another episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. Aussie Bognops, it has been an absolute pleasure. Would you do us a favour? What would that be, sir? Do call again soon to see us. By all means, thank you for having me. And I'm Good. sorry I drained so much of your secret drinks cabinet, but... Uh... No, we look forward to that. Absolutely, we do. We do. You don't need an invite, just just pop along. Pop along. Ah, till the next time, gentlemen. Thank you. No, thank you. And thanks to you, dear listener, once again for stopping by. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyMountPod at gmail.com or we are at PeggyMountPod on Twitter. You can also find us by searching for the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on Facebook. Don't forget to go to PeggyMountPod.com to check out the show notes for this episode. And it's as easy as that, of course. Join us next time on the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. Until then, keep pegging! The Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast Michael Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. Peggy Mount Pod.com.